Hello and welcome to the European Patients Podcast, representing the voice of patients in Europe. This podcast is brought to you by the European Patients Forum, the leading voice of patient organizations on the continent. My name is Anne, I am the Communications Officer for EPF and your host on today's pod. Welcome to a new episode of Periscope Talks. If you're tuning in for the first time, the Periscope project was launched in 2020 and investigates the broad socio-economic and behavioral impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic to make Europe more resilient and prepared for future large-scale health risks. Around the airing of this episode, Periscope comes to an end. A final conference took place on 8 September 2023 in Brussels, and by the end of October, the project officially reaches its final stage. This is the last episode of Periscope Talks, a great opportunity to look back and ahead. We are excited to welcome today's guest, Andrea Renda. Andrea is project partner SEPS, Director of Research and the Co-Coordinator and Strategic Director of the Periscope Project. We are looking forward to hearing his insights on the project's past, present and future. Hi, Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Um, can you take us back to the drawing table of Periscope? What sparked the idea for the project in light of the emerging global pandemic of 2019? Oh, hello, Anne, and thanks for having me. Um, well, the, uh, the idea was not our idea originally, meaning that we were all caught by surprise, uh, perhaps even too much by surprise by the pandemic. And, um, and so, Oh, well, I work for a think tank and for universities and like many other colleagues, we were actually thinking, what are we going to do over the coming months? Meaning, are we going to reorient all our research to try and see what is going on here? Because this is likely to be so big and so massive that uh, we don't even know if we did the stuff that we normally do, for example, studying technology policy or studying uh, public health in more normal settings is going to be useful at all. Right. And I think in that respect, um, uh, uh, there was also some existential questions that for example, think tanks like mine, I work for the Center for European Policy Studies, were asking themselves, meaning, are, are we going to stay relevant or are we going to have to close shop, right, in the, in the next few weeks? So this is why I'd like to remark this. It's essential in these cases that public institutions rise to the challenge and uh, prompt researchers to their to contribution. This is where the idea came from originally. I was brainstorming with some of my colleagues uh, about what to do and how to reorganize things and analyze policies as they were unfolding in real time. Uh, but then the European Commission decided to earmark um, uh, some, uh, I think, eventually uh, 30 million or 25 to 30 million uh, euros out of the Horizon uh, uh, project for research and innovation um, uh, to launch an emergency call, not only for medical research, but also for analyzing social, economic and behavioral impacts of the pandemic. And this is where this call came out, but with a, a, a horrendous deadline, meaning something like we had to put something together in a month. And um, for the level of ambition and the size of the uh, of the challenge that we needed to tackle, it was uh, very tight. So uh, we needed to be brave. And at the same time, we wanted to make a contribution because it seemed to be something that was likely to stay for a long time. We don't we didn't know for how long, uh, but it would be um, a, a pandemic uh, that would have a global impact. And um, it would have a massive impact not only on the lives uh, of uh, uh, citizens and individuals around the world, but also on the economy and society. So we um, decided to join forces in this uh, respect initially with uh, 
my friend already at that time, Paolo Giudici from the University of Pavia, we had been together in a task force on artificial intelligence and uh, that we, uh, you know, we had joined as independent experts uh, advising the Italian government. Uh, but we had become friends and colleagues, uh, uh, academic colleagues, and we decided to give it a try. And uh, so we started, you know, co-opting and bringing together a bigger group and the building also on the basis of the rather vague call uh, for uh, expressions of interest and, and proposals, uh, a project that ended up in just two, three weeks, counting uh, 32 partners for a budget. We went for the for the big ticket item that uh, we covered the whole call and we asked for for 10 million euros because we wanted to do something that would be all encompassing and, and so we really um, uh, leverage complementary expertise. And this is how we ended up uh, building something that originally was called Pandora, then Pand something. I don't even remember all the names. And eventually we, <laughs> we landed on Periscope. And yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the idea of uh, looking at pandemics and epidemics, looking at um, the future of uh, fast decision making under emergency circumstances, working with data, working with qualitative research, working with experiments, working with basically almost all the research methods that we knew of um, right. uh, to make an impact and a good contribution. So how this is how the, the idea came 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 about. But this is an idea that you can put, um, they say, into uh, meaningful use only if you have an extensive an extensive network, uh, which is pre-existing, obviously, because you need to make it work immediately. So I think it's a good mm -hmm. example also of how institutions, not only uh, academics, can respond when they are prepared. And to some extent, we were prepared because we had the context, we had the idea, we had the ability to develop, also from past experience, large-scale research projects. And this is how Periscope uh, came about. Seeing as it came together quite in an ad hoc way, if I understand correctly, um, how do you look at some of the main goals that you had for the for the project? Um, and also, how do you look back on them knowing now what has been uh, developed and realized? Well, the, the goals that we had for the project were um, uh, um, somehow defined under uncertainty, right? You can only imagine uh, during 2020, you try to build a project and you don't know whether after six months the pandemic will be over or whether at the end of the project the pandemic will still be on. And almost for the whole duration of the project, the pandemic has been there. Uh, at some point, the WHO has declared the end of the pandemic, but we're still struggling with COVID and we're still learning um, the what what the um, not only the direct impacts in terms of lives lost, uh, in terms of uh, morbidities or comorbidities in terms of long COVID, in terms of mental health consequences uh, have been, but also the indirect impacts, the impacts on the economy, the impacts on how we take decisions today. Uh, and something that today, um, you know, words that didn't ex really exist in the jargon of the policymakers then, such as resilience at the broader level, or things that people call today poly-risk or the more pessimistic uh, commentators call perma-crisis, right? Uh, these things didn't exist only a few years ago. And I think this has changed the way we behave today. Now, the goals that we had were, you know, to cutting a very long story short, um, uh, very simple, uh, learning and then responding. So learning from the data uh, as the data was becoming available, uh, learning through statistical analysis, learning through machine learning analysis, learning through qualitative and experimental research, um, and then responding when responding took a different set of skills and muscles to exercise, in particular the muscles of the governance experts. How do we make sure that uh, we find a way to strengthen uh, uh, health systems? So how do we show that we conceptualize what does it mean 
to be more prepared and to respond more effectively in the future. Uh, and uh, so some of these things have, have been very rapid research. So we started producing papers that really were offered to policymakers in the first weeks of life of Periscope. And so we started um, uh, you know, in, in November 2020 and uh, we started uh, uh, flooding policymakers with uh, studies on uh, how do you handle lockdowns uh, as opposed to um, what went wrong in terms of global health governance. So very diverse uh, types of, um, uh, of um, research. And at the same time, how do you use statistical analysis for what could be defined as now casting? Uh, meaning how do you, uh, you know, it's the same principle if you wish. And this is a research that I had already started with Paolo uh, in, a, in, a in a paper that had been published before um, uh, at the beginning of Periscope. How do you use autoregression? To some extent, it's the same methodologies that ChatGPT uses today to predict, you know, what sequence of words is the best answer to a query. Uh, is the same uh, a way in which you extrapolate current developments and you build short-term uh, projections and predictions of when it's likely to happen. So uh, what we wanted to do is exploring various ways to learn from the data, build this data atlas, uh, provide you know, so scanning for the needs of policymakers and then providing materials to help them take better decisions in the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, but also for future epidemics and pandemics, and then build a sort of a, a, an overall body of knowledge on how do you respond. And I think we've gone quite a long way there. I mean, no single project will ever solve all the problems of something that has ended up becoming a huge um, uh, and, and a massive pandemic. Certainly the, the, the most deadly and uh, most in, impactful uh, and disruptive pandemic of the past century. Uh, but so we, we couldn't know this. But I think Periscope has offered a number of unique insights um, to policymakers. And to some extent, we haven't even fully capitalized on those insights as we speak. So we will continue to disseminate some of these uh, uh, findings and, and lessons learned uh, going forward. And I can, you know, give examples, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that, that I think stands out is um, understanding what the, uh, what's the difference between the actual uh, problems that have emerged in the handling of the pandemic at the global level and their root causes. So one thing is to say, okay, there has been a lack of communication or timely communication, perhaps from Wuhan to the rest of the world. There has been uh, um, a series of problems in understanding the modes of transmission of the pandemic. There have been uh, a little bit of a hiccup in uh, measuring preparedness with, uh, with respect to what actually happened. There's been a variety of approaches to mask diplomacy, closure of borders and stuff like this that have hit severely uh, the possibility, in particular in the EU, to respond to the pandemic. These are actual problems that have emerged in the mechanics of the immediate response to the pandemic. It's a different thing to say, let's go back to the roots and think that perhaps our health systems were not fully ready because for years, and in particular for the decade after the, the financial crisis, uh, uh, the development of an economic thinking on how uh, member states in the European Union should uh, contribute to the stability and growth pact of the EU, uh, this had led many, many uh, member states to actually dry out to the bone their health systems, cutting costs and uh, not preserving that redundancy, that ability to respond, that versatility in the competences of the personnel uh, in, in, uh, in health and the workforce, uh, meaning all those things were root problems that if you don't go back to them, you're not, never going to solve this problem for the next time it presents itself. 
And so what was the ability of governments to have a degree of situational awareness in terms of, for example, engaging in foresight or horizon scanning? Some of us today engage and we are uh, engaged in a, in a side project to teach the ECDC, the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control in Stockholm, how to do better foresight for next um, uh, and upcoming infectious diseases. Some of the partners in Periscope are actually busy with, with this other project at the moment. So this is one example. The second example is when you put in place uh, decision, complex decision making that is supposed to unpack trade-offs such as uh, should we lock down the economy? Are we creating mental health problems, isolation, and even you know loss of jobs and uh, closure of businesses and so on and so forth? Uh, when we when we adopt these decisions, are we imposing these decisions from the top down? When we uh, choose about a lockdown or how to um, uh, take up medical countermeasures, when we communicate information about uh, the importance of vaccination, do we do this in the same way from a capital of a country throughout the territory? Or we try to reach out to the specific communities, getting to know what's the best way uh, to you know, trigger the dynamics of communication and the level of authority that would then lead to uh, better trust in science. And so, right. for example, the idea of social infrastructure that has come out of Periscope, and in particular from our partners at the London School of Economics, but also Asset SEPS and the Karolinska Institute, Federation of European Academies of Medicine, uh, and the same in, in some circumstances, the European Patients Forum, um, the Mental Health Europe, they've been participating. Um, the idea that you need to uh, pre-map and, and have awareness of what the social infrastructure is at the community level, because this is the way you will uh, maximize the uptake of the potential uh, countermeasures that you try to push for, forward. Uh, I could go on forever and only flag one other thing, which I, we found that perhaps uh, we can uh, elaborate a bit upon, because it, then it relates directly to the data atlas that we built, um, <laughs> which is we realize how incomplete and insufficiently fine-grained and insufficiently timely the data available to policymakers were, even compared to the UK or the US. And so this made it very difficult for us to put together something that would enable uh, a more fine-grained, a more fine-tuned way of responding to a crisis. And this is, uh, I think, a big finding and at the same time, a big, almost implicit manifesto that has come out, not only of Periscope, but also the sister projects that were funded alongside Periscope um, uh, and that to some extent have met uh, during the lives of this project. Um, the lack of data, so the need to ensure better data availability going forward um, is an enormous obstacle to the work of uh, uh, data scientists and uh, governance experts uh, in uh, um, you know, developing better ways to respond to uh, current and future pandemics and epidemics. Right. Um, and could you go maybe a bit more in depth uh, briefly on how this, the, all these innovative data insights translate concretely to the education and guidance of, of policymakers? Um, how do we ensure the preparedness uh, through these insight, insights? Well, the first thing is um, you might need data to detect anomalies or to detect outbreaks, right? And in order to do this, you need to trust um, the source of communication of data. You need to put in place what today at the global level, you know, in the G7 will be called free flow of data with trust, but at the WHO level is really the actual implementation of the international health regulations, uh, meaning the obligations not only to monitor uh, inside the country, but also to communicate and notify if there is an outbreak. And so this has not worked clearly in the pandemic, but even if it worked, 
uh, this data, the flow, first of all, they need to flow in an interoperable format. Uh, they need to flow and, and uh, land in the hands of people that know how to handle data. And now to put data together um, at the very moment of detection of a potential outbreak, that could be then an epidemic or eventually a public health emergency of international concern. Um, and this is not something that we knew how to do at, the, at that moment. Now, that said, even when you start responding to this or you start maybe first with so-called non-medical countermeasures like border closures, if any, or lockdowns, non-pharmaceutical interventions, you need to be able to monitor uh, whether these are having effects. So you might need a lot more data like mobility data, traffic data, cell phone data, many of these others. And there's no, there was no governance in place for public authorities to get a hold of this data. There was no um, uh, uh, governance mechanism in place or obligation to deliver this data in a format that could be then pulled and integrated with other data. And so there was no way uh, to, to really you put this data to use to monitor whether the interventions, and we're talking about interventions that when then updated and, and changed sometimes three, four times a week uh, uh, in the in the early day, in the in the early phases of the pandemic. How do you make sure that you do sort of a dose response rapid uh, um, check of whether these measures are um, are working? And it's a very very complicated uh, or, already then and um, still now for policymakers to 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 um, uh, to get a hold of the data and put them to use because some of the problems that we had then in the early days are still there today. But I think in Periscope, we have at least explained how this could happen in the future, also with the help of new technologies. Yeah. All right. And uh, as we're nearing the end of the conversation already, could you maybe um, fast forward a bit and uh, think about what is next for the for the project? What can or should we expect from the next couple of years? And what are best practices that we can uh, learn from? Well, what is uh, the future of Periscope? Of course, Periscope comes to an end in terms of EU funding. Yeah. It has already had um, uh, an impact in terms of uh, some of the uh, learned lessons uh, from Periscope survive in other projects. Again, I was mentioning the, the project that we're um, carrying out for, for the ECDC, some of the partners. Um, we at the Center for European Policy Studies have engaged in uh, um, projects to back the design of the Health Emergency Preparedness, uh, Preparedness and Response Authority, uh, which is currently a, a service inside the European Commission, but maybe in the future might evolve into a more independent agency. Um, at least we hope so. Uh, we we are working, some of us, with the uh, uh, Belgian presidency, which is a forthcoming presidency, in order to ensure that the crisis response mechanisms might be uh, sharpened. Uh, lots of reforms have been introduced during uh, 2022, in particular cross-border uh, health threats regulation, but also others that really change the landscape of how the European Union responds. Uh, so what are the mechanisms that are at play, uh, play? We have been looking into this also on the basis of the research, uh, mostly on the, on the basis of the research carried out in Periscope and transform that into policy advice to the Council of the EU for the next semester. Um, and hopefully uh, also thanks to the fact that there will be enlargement sooner or later in the European Union. This will bring back the possibility of a treaty change. It might give the possibility to centralize or strengthen at least some of the competences on health in the hands of EU institutions, thereby um, uh, uh, to some extent weakening a little bit the concerns uh, that we've had and still exist uh, on the fact that member states still keep 
very firmly in their hands, their prerogatives, they might be ready next time to again did what they did at the beginning of the pandemic, close the borders and try to somehow selfishly um, accumulate medical countermeasures for themselves before thinking about sharing these resources uh, uh, with their uh, neighbors uh, that belong to the same union, right? So uh, these are just some examples. The data atlas will continue to be nurtured. They will be, we are looking into new calls in uh, uh, Horizon Europe to make sure that at least some of these uh, um, insights continue to have a life uh, um, in research projects. And um, uh, so, you know, uh, stay tuned because we're going to be back, uh, you know, with the same composition or similar composition of the of the consortium because we discovered that united with, we're stronger, we're complementary, we're multidisciplinary, and we are enormously useful to the policymakers. They need to keep listening, though, and this is one uh, word of concern uh, that I would like to leave you with. Um, and because um, you know, pandemics go with panic and neglect, right? These are the typical uh, uh, cycles. And I think at the moment we are gloriously and spectacularly entering a phase of neglect. Be that because the conflicts in the Middle East, uh, war in Ukraine, uh, because of geopolitical tensions elsewhere, geoeconomic and also macroeconomic tensions in other cases, because of industrial policy concerns uh, and uh, decarbonization and other crises that have piled up. But health remains a quintessential a paramount concern and I think we don't solve uh, entirely, we don't keep working to fix the glitches in governance uh, that we've seen at all levels of government uh, during this almost four years of pandemic, uh, we will be back in the same position and we don't know what will be the cause of this because the next pandemic, the next health emergency might not look like uh, COVID-19, it might be mm -hmm. a completely different thing, you know, it could be AMR or a bioterrorist attack. And uh, so if we're not ready, we don't learn and we don't respond, which are, you know, the, the words, the verbs that we've been using for three years in Periscope, uh, we will be back at square one and square one doesn't look good. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Anna. It was a pleasure. Many thanks once again to Andrea Renda for joining us today. As the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic is still reverberating across Europe and beyond, the Periscope project has uncovered valuable insights into the multifaceted impact of COVID-19 and has offered practical measures to pave the way for a more resilient and prepared continent. The lessons learned from COVID-19 must serve as a blueprint for building stronger, more interconnected public health systems across Europe. We are the European Patients Forum, the leading voice of patient organizations in Europe with 79 members across the continent. Thank you all for tuning in to today's episode of Periscope Talks. <laughs>